The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. everybody welcome to the main street vegan show and if you're in the united states or if you're an american expat somewhere who's going to be celebrating the thanksgiving holiday tomorrow happy thanksgiving to you this is such a strange holiday for vegans on the one hand we are certainly as much into gratitude as anybody i am grateful for this program to Unity Online Radio for being our network for four and a half amazing years, for all the guests, for all the listeners, for the opportunities that I have to get to do what I'm passionate about for my whole entire life. Such a blessing, such a gift. And of course, my wonderful family and a great family of friends. And tomorrow, uh, I'm going to be celebrating with my husband, my daughter, my son-in-law, my wonderful assistant, Danielle, that some of you know, she was away for a while, and another wonderful assistant, Carissa, but Danielle has more time now, and so she's back giving me a little more time, and that's what I need, so I'm real grateful for that, and also um, our good friend, Sarah, who's moved here from Kansas City, she grew up with my daughter, and we're all going to gather around, and there's not going to be anybody dead on the table But I know in lots of homes there will be. And in this country, we do this ridiculous thing in which at this time of year, the President of the United States pardons a turkey. And I always think he should pardon that Tyson's chicken guy. If he's going to pardon somebody, pardon somebody who's actually done something. So many mixed feelings, but I really want the... uh, gratitude and joyful feelings and the powerful feelings that we will stand up for the animals, we will stand up for the oppressed, and we will make things better every single day just by how we live. How do you like that? Well, you know who likes it a lot. My two guests on um, the program today, they are both experts on Jewish veganism, and I'm so honored to have them both. We'll be hearing in a little while, we're hoping, we're trying to uh, reach Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Um, Hopefully he'll be calling in and we'll be connected before too long. But right now, I'm happy to introduce you or rather reintroduce you because he's been on the show a couple of times before to Dr. Richard Schwartz. 
Dr. Schwartz is now living in Israel and calling from far, far away, but you know, the world has gotten pretty little. That's a good thing. He is the author of Who Stole My Religion? Revitalizing Judaism and Applying Jewish Values to Help Heal Our Imperiled Planet. His book is meant to be a wake-up call, the strongest he could make to the urgency of averting climate catastrophe and other environmental disasters. Schwartz argues that Judaism is a radical religion, in the best sense of that term, with teachings on compassion, justice, peace, environmental sustainability that could help effectively address current crises. Welcome, Dr. Richard Schwartz. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. It's really a pleasure to be on the program again. I appreciate the kind introduction. And one of the things I'm very grateful for is having you in our movement and uh, want to commend you for all you've been doing for so many years, your books, your talks, uh, everything. And I wish you many, many uh, more years of success. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I just have a question. So there are a lot of Americans living in Israel. Do you guys do Thanksgiving, or do you kind of skip that when you move away? Uh, actually, uh, many do celebrate Thanksgiving here. You know, that's uh, a universal holiday, and uh, it's not quite the same as in the States, but uh, many, many uh, Americans do celebrate Thanksgiving. Well, today, I was out in search of a tofurkey. I live in New York, so mm-hmm. I order order my groceries, and and Fresh Direct, where I get most of my food from, was out of tofurkeys, and I thought, well, that's good. There's been a run on tofurkeys. We are winning. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. I went to a natural food store, and they had two that were terribly freezer burned. And the guy said, well, they've been here a long time. And I thought, you think. And then I went next door to a very sophisticated New York City smallish supermarket and asked about eight people, and they all looked at me as if I was from some other planet. And I finally became one of those vegans, and I was saying, no, not a turkey breast, not turkey parts, not stuffing Mm -hmm. for the turkey. I'm talking about a vegetarian alternative to killing somebody. Mm -hmm. And the whole store looked at me because I said killing somebody. I guess they thought I was a dangerous person. But, yeah, sometimes I think there are more of us than uh, there are. But you know what? There are more of us on this call than there were just a minute ago. So let me introduce our other guest, and then we will be a threesome. I'm very pleased to have on a real rock star in the vegan movement, and that is Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz, who is the founder and CEO of Shamayim Va'aretz. I hope I said that remotely right. And the author of 10 books, thank Mm -hmm. you, on, on Jewish ethics. In 2008, the Jewish Week recognized him as one of the 36 most influential Jewish leaders under the age of 36. And just this year, the Forward named him one of the most inspiring rabbis in America. He and his wife, Shoshana, and their two children live in Scottsdale, Arizona, where he serves as president and dean of Valley Bait Midrash. Welcome, Reverend Yanklowitz. Thank you very much. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, Victoria, and always with Dr. Schwartz, one of my great heroes. <laughs> well, well, I feel the same way about you, uh, Robert Yankowitz. You know, I really, uh, wish there was just so many more like you. It would really change the world for the better. Well, what we, what we really need is more Dr. Richard Schwartz in the world, so thank you. <laughs> well, we've had, Richard has been on the show a couple of times, so my listeners know him, but we want to get to know you. So tell us your story. What came first, the rabbi or the vegan? <laughs> Actually, Rabbi came, uh, Rabbi came first, and um, it was directly out of my Jewish values and learning that the veganism emerged. But I really owe the most credit to my wife because we became vegans together on our wedding day. We said, listen, if we want to build a home of love and compassion, then we really have to represent that. We really have to live that through and through. That is so beautiful. Wow. You know, that actually reminds me of... This has nothing to do with veganism, but I think it's very sweet. The the people who founded um, Amway got married, 
and they didn't have anything, but they made a, a commitment to one another on their wedding day that they were going to give 10% of their money to causes that were important to them. And then lo and behold, Amway happened. So uh, <laughs> maybe a, an extra wedding day promise is a good idea. Yeah, well, you know, it seems to me like that our core values should not be, you know, personal or private commitments, but really our values should be infused into our relationships and into our houses of worship, into our friendships, into our families. And I feel very blessed to have found a partner, uh, you know, a life partner who was on board of, to, to take this on with me. Because I think actually the, the main thing that folks need to make this next step towards more compassionate eating and living is having partnership, people who can support them in the journey. What about in houses of worship, though? And certainly I'll ask you um, first, Shmuley, and then we'll have Richard weigh in. I mean, what is it like as you are are leading a a group of the faithful, and yet probably most of them aren't vegan? How does that work? Right. So so it can be very difficult. And uh, Shemayim Varas is doing quite a bit of work on this now to try to create a spectrum of baby steps that houses of worship who don't have this on their radar at all. I mean, it's hard to imagine in the 21st century you don't have an ethical consumption food policy. But uh, those who haven't thought of it or haven't got there yet, we're really trying to support and challenge them to do this. And I think the most important thing that Jewish vegetarians and Jewish vegans can do is really model this, to be present, build relationships, model what it means to do it, show how it's possible, and really be a mensch in the community, really be a respectable member of the community who people want to be like. Because more than in intellectual argumentation, which will work for some, but for most people, they're, they're more relational learners. They admire people and they want to be like them. They see, they see role models and they want to emulate their practices. So I think as much as we bang down the doors of rabbis to kind of make changes in their institutions, as we should do, I think also, you know, really building relationships throughout that community and continuing to talk about um, how important it is to, 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 to take this on. Now, Richard, we hear that Israel is so full of vegans that over here it seems like, oh, wow, over there, you know, they're practically the majority, which, mm-hmm. of course, it's not quite like mm-hmm. that. Do you notice a difference? Well, Do you feel more supportive there than you did here? Yeah, actually, uh, Israel is a leading country in veganism in terms of percent of people that are vegan. But as you point out, uh, far from the majority, it's like 5% as compared to maybe 1% or 2% in the U.S. and England and uh, possibly other countries. So it's, uh, it's difficult. I did take part in a major animal rights march here a month or so ago. So a lot is happening. That's good to see. And it's based on very powerful Jewish teachings on compassion for animals. And I point out uh, the case for vegetarianism, even more for veganism, is so strong. I mean, uh, these are basic to Judaism that we have to be uh, compassionate to animals, take care of our health. And something I'm really pushing here, and the way, as I mentioned uh, before we got uh, on the program, wildfires here, because climate change is becoming such a major, major threat. And uh, people are just unaware of the very strong contributions animal-based agriculture is making to climate change and with methane giving off by uh, cows, etc. So it's really essential. And uh, as Rabbi indicates, uh, we are a minority, but we have truth, justice, morality on our side, and we have to get that case out and respectfully challenge rabbis, other Jewish leaders, to not, God forbid, go to another religion, but put the highest of Jewish values into practice. And that certainly means that uh, we should all have vegan diet. So what, um, Rabbi, is ethical kashrut? Great. So, you know, kashrut was really in its intention uh, and formative stages all about cultivating a spiritual consciousness of what we're consuming. That before I eat, I can ask, how were the workers treated? You know, was this fair trade? Is this healthy for my body? How were the animals treated? But the notion of ethical kashrut is a little bit of a subversive protest that kashrut has kind of been hijacked 
by those who have forgotten the core intentions and values that were involved. Um, and so um, uh, we are you know, building a movement that says, let's return Cut's roots to its original grandeur and grandiosity of, of, of the noble vision of, of creating a more compassionate world. And I often say that, you know, our biggest impact in the world used to be through our vote. Um, and votes uh, clearly still matter. I and mean, we see, uh, you know, the, the world is changing quite rapidly over the last few weeks. But I think that the, the, the biggest impact we have is in every day what we buy. And the most consistent thing we buy is actually our food. And it's the most consistent ethical choice we make. And so it seems we, we talk a lot about ethics in society, about medical ethics, business ethics, and we often dance around the food ethics. And I think hush fruit can be a vehicle for social change. Because look, really looking back at the Garden of Eden, at the birth of this, in the Bible, in the Torah, the very first command, the very first moral imperative is not to eat from the Eitadat Torah, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when they break that first command, um, they then are given a moral consciousness. That is to say that in the first act of food consumption, the birth of morality is born, which is to say the genesis of all ethics comes from food consumption. And so ethical kashrut is an attempt to... Uh, to re-inspire the community using a very powerful traditional vehicle to, uh, to, um, to really spread compassion to the next level. That's fascinating. Now, kashrut, for anybody who doesn't know, is, is the body of, of Jewish religious laws around food and ritual and that sort of thing, as I understand it. And so uh, I think... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Pretty most bad, yeah. people who, who aren't Jewish... When they hear about Jewish dietary laws, they think about lots of rules. And this seems like something different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that those who don't feel committed to um, the rules of traditional Judaism can very much get engaged in ethical kashrut because it's sort of reframing those principles um, back in line with the original vision. And it is those who do feel committed to the traditional uh, rules and practices, all the more so should feel compelled uh, by this vision because it's, it's, it's only raising the bar. And uh, we know it takes discipline to keep kosher, and it also keeps discipline to, to be vegan. It, re- it really takes a community. It takes, it takes discipline. It takes, it takes uh, planning. You have to plan out your schedule and your relationships. And so um, it's all the more easy for those who already have a disciplined practice in some way. So does Judaism see that how we're supposed to live on earth has a certain evolutionary quality that maybe at one time doing certain things made sense, but as we know more and as we're looking, as Richard talked about so much climate change right now, we really need to look at things differently, or, or were the laws laid out early on and nothing changes? Oh, okay, yeah, absolutely. Now, let me be clear that, that I'm actually an Orthodox rabbi, a modern Orthodox, which puts me on the most, one of the most traditional ends of, of this. And I, and I think, having studied halakha, Jewish law for years, that the word halakha for Jewish law actually translates as progress. It means oh, to wow. walk forward, to walk forward. And many have mis- mistreated the halakha as meaning it doesn't change. It's the same thing that someone said in, you know, 2nd century Babylonia or in 11th century Egypt or in 15th century Spain. But rather, the word itself means that we progress. And so the essence of the tradition is that you hold on to the core principles and, um, and the core traditions, but that they have to respond and evolve in order that they maximize their relevance and impact in your, in your current era. And so this is a good example where we can't lie. I mean, Judaism is very clear in the early stages that um, it is permitted to eat meat, right? Early on in the Garden of Eden, it was forbidden. And then once after the flood, God said, wow, you guys are really kind of violent. So don't kill humans, but you can kill animals, you know, in a very limited capacity. Now, some people say, see, look, what are you protesting about? You know, I mean, it, 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 Judaism is quite clear that you can eat meat, no problem. But for, that, that was a whole different era. When there was a scarcity of resources, there was a scarcity of knowledge. Around these issues, there was a scarcity of alternatives. Today, we know very well 
that it's a healthier diet. We didn't know that in the past to be vegan. We know very well that alternative uh, foods that um, are, are accessible and affordable and more healthy. We know very well about the pain and the nervous system of animals that some people in the past sometimes thought, oh, animals don't really feel pain. They don't have brains or nervous systems in some, some, some strange sense. Um, and we know today, if all of that doesn't convince someone, that the factory farming industry um, is uh, one of the most horrific atrocities of, of human existence today. Uh, so given all that knowledge, it's totally in, uh, you know, um, inexcusable and unacceptable to embrace this old model of, oh, Judaism permits it, so what are you, you, know, <laughs> what are you complaining about? And so, yes, to, to answer your question, I think that Judaism is all about, um, there is a model called Yuridat Hadorot, which means that the higher truth is found in the past. But much more than that, there's a messianic vision which says we need to build a utopia. We need to build a just and compassionate world, and we should always be looking to use the tradition to bring progress. I love I that. Reinforce. <laughs> yeah. yes, I want to reinforce some of the powerful points that Rabbi is making. In terms of Kash Brut, one of the more famous rabbis here in Israel, Rabbi Riskin, who happens to be the chief rabbi of Ephraim in Israeli city, said a number of times the laws of Kashrut, the dietary laws, are designed to teach us compassion and lead us gently to vegetarianism. So that uh, is part of that. And in terms of moving forward, of course, many, many years ago in the biblical times, it was a common mode of worship to have sacrifices. So that is part of Judaism, the sacrifices, which, by the way, was a big step forward from the pagan practices. They certainly didn't have human uh, child sacrifice or anything like that. And according to the prophets, the, that wasn't God's primary concern. He was more concerned that uh, there should be a more compassionate, just, merciful world. And in terms of moving ahead, I'm trying to take some of that. There was uh, an ancient new year for animals, which was tithing for the sacrifices. So one of the things I'm trying to do is reestablish that ancient new year for animals, but instead of tithing for sacrifices, to renew it and transform it into a day concerned with increasing awareness of Judaism's beautiful, beautiful teachings on compassion for animals and also how far the realities are today. As Rabbi indicated, that factory farming is such a horrendous, unbelievable thing. And uh, I'm arguing that uh, Jews and everybody else should go to the rabbis, other religious teachers, and indicate there's so many powerful teachings on compassion for animals. One of the teachings, for example, Jews are to be Rachmanim b'nei Rachmanim, which means compassionate children of compassionate ancestors. We are to imitate a God who, according to Psalms chapter 145, verse 9, his compassion is over all of his works, all of his animals. So we have such powerful, powerful teachings, and they're needed today as never before in a time of climate change and water shortages, food shortages, and we see it. Uh, so, so many uh, examples. It's really madness and sheer insanity that with all these crises, we're raising 70 billion animals for slaughter every single year, horrendous conditions. We're feeding 70% of the grain in the U.S. to animals destined to slaughter at a time where uh, some estimate 20 million people are dying of hunger every year and almost a billion are chronically malnourished. And at a time when water is becoming such a precious commodity, uh, in, here in Israel, by the way, we haven't had that much rain. That's why it's so dry. That's why they had these wildfires. And yet uh, animal-based diets per person require 13 or 14 times as much water. So it's just madness and sheer insanity, and uh, really appreciate this opportunity to get this message out, and I hope uh, people will take it and very respectfully go to their religious leaders, politicians, educators, and say, the world's heading to a climate catastrophe, many of disasters. How can we continue in the way we're going and if it's heading to a disaster? Well, let, let's do it. And right now, let's head for a break. Yeah. We'll be back after these messages and have more with Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz and Dr. Richard Schwartz. We'll be back.
Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet? And be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, all my very favorite listeners couple of announcements. Uh, we're talking about Judaism and veganism and Judaism today. The blog on the MainStreetVegan.net blog this week happens to be about Christmas. It comes from Enrique Velez, who's a Main Street vegan lifestyle coach and educator who lives in Puerto Rico. And his post is called, Can You Be Vegan at Christmas Time? And he's talking about uh, some of the traditional dishes in Puerto Rico and how to deal with family and friends. And one of the great things whenever Enrique blogs for us is we get the post in both English and Spanish. And I hear from people sometimes that not a lot of vegan information is translated into Spanish. So to have something uh, there for people whose first language is Spanish, well, we've got something for you today. I also would be honored right now to bring you this really important word from our wonderful sponsor, because with Thanksgiving upon us, we can't help but think of and mourn for the turkeys. There were so many killed for food this year. I know when we hear the big numbers, it's hard sometimes to get a picture. But when you think of one, one turkey, if you visited a farm sanctuary, if you've really come to know one of these creatures, they're quite magnificent. I was uh, at a sanctuary a couple of years ago, and this man came because his girlfriend brought him. He wasn't vegetarian or anything. He just liked this girl, (laughs) but this turkey 
fell in love with him. This big, colorful Tom Turkey literally sat on the guy's lap and would not leave and followed him around. And I later, like a couple of years later, as somebody who worked at that sanctuary, if she ever saw the guy again that that turkey had taken such a shine to. And she said, yeah, he went vegan and now he volunteers on Saturdays. So they're really amazing, amazing creatures. And knowing this, our sponsor, Vegan Outreach, works all year long to reduce the demand for animal foods and spare animals from such an awful fate. So right now, you can make a big impact on their work. A group of their core supporters has pledged to match your donation to Vegan Outreach, so it will go twice as far in persuading more people to go vegan. Pretty good deal. So make a tax-deductible donation now for the turkeys at veganoutreach.org. And thanks very much to Vegan Outreach for sponsoring us. And, of course, also when you're in a giving mood, remember unityonlineradio.org as well, who has been our host for such a long time and treats us so well. There's just so much to be grateful for right now including my wonderful guest today, Dr. Richard Schwartz, who is the author of Who Stole My Religion, and Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz, uh, whose book is called The Jewish Vegan. So before going much further, I want to talk to both of these gentlemen about their books. Rabbi, tell us about The Jewish Vegan. Why did you write that, and what do you hope for it to do? Well, first, I, I want to say uh, I'm, I'm excited about about Victoria Moran's books, the, the 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 Good Karma Diet and and Living a Charmed Life, Creating a Charmed Life, Main Street Vegan, Shelter for the Spirit. I mean, these wonderful books. So 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 thank you. It's uh it's it's an honor to speak about a book from such a wonderful author and and of course Dr. Schwartz, Who Stole My Religion, which I hope everyone will check out. Judaism and Global Survival, Judaism and Vegetarianism. I mean, these are really uh, uh you know transformative works. Um, we have put together the Jewish Vegan. Uh, which I, I had the honor to edit of finding leading Jewish thinkers and leaders who were also vegan to get their thoughts on various fronts from a diet perspective, from an animal welfare perspective, from an uh, environmental perspective. And really, it ha- you know, uh, it hadn't been done before where we kind of had surveyed thinkers in this kind of way. Everyone from, you know, Professor Peter Singer at Princeton to um, Mayim Bialik in Hollywood um, and a whole range of academics and activists and, and for those who under, want to understand the Jewish perspectives on this issue, and not only from a, from a theoretical perspective, but also on a grassroots level, we thought it would be a, um, a wonderful contribution. And it's, uh, at one point it was on the Amazon you know, best, uh, you know, bestseller list, so it's, it, it's uh, really done quite well. Oh, it sounds wonderful. And I, I love the mix. And that's one of the things that's so cool about the vegan movement We've just, you know, like you talked about from scholars to actors to every kind of sports person, we are well represented. So, Richard, give give us a little bit on Who Stole My Religion and why we all ought to be reading it. Right. Okay, first I do want to mention, I appreciate uh, Rabbi mentioning it, since it's very relevant to this discussion, Judaism and Vegetarianism, uh, it's the third edition, and that argues that veganism is the ideal Jewish diet because it's most consistent with Jewish teachings on compassion for animals, taking care of our health, being co-workers with God and protecting the environment, conserving natural resources, helping hungry people, and seeking and pursuing peace. And by the way, that is available free of charge on a website where I also have 200-plus articles, and that's... Uh, one word, Jewish, followed by B-E-G, the first three letters in vegetarianism, jewishveg.com, and then slash my last name, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. And uh, also at that website, the Judaism and Global Survival, which indicates that the world's heading toward this environmental crises. And fortunately, uh, Judaism, like other religions, has these powerful teachings on compassion and environmental sustainability and justice and seeking peace and all. So those are both available at that website I mentioned. And my most, most recent book, which is, as you said, meant to be a wake-up call. Who Stole My Religion? Revitalizing Judaism and Applying Jewish Values to Help Heal on a Better Planet. 
uh, it, it's mentioned Judaism is a radical religion in the best sense of the term because powerful, powerful teachings, the two things in Judaism that we're supposed to pursue, there's many, many rituals at the different times and places, but the two things that we're to pursue not just uh, if we see a need in the immediate community to go beyond that, those are peace and justice. And again, uh, some of the powerful teachings that, for example, every human being is created in God's image, and that humans are given dominion, and that's often misinterpreted, but that means responsible stewardship. That, as I said, we should be co-workers with God and preserving the environment. And it, it argues... As we always said, he's modern Orthodox, I am also, and I extol the Orthodox community for their acts of charity and um, learning and uh, acts of kindness, but in and he's not applying enough the Jewish teachings that are needed more than ever before. This year is the third consecutive year of record-breaking temperatures. We know the oceans are rising, the, the glaciers and the polar ice caps are melting, and there's severe storms. And just to give one example, we know California has been especially hard hit. And the governor, Jerry Brown, has said, a good summary of the whole situation, that humanity is on a collision course with nature. So, again, the book is meant to, uh, by being a little bit provocative in the title, is saying Judaism is a wonderful religion, and the important thing is to put it into practice. Otherwise, well, I, uh, it's just academic. Well, yeah. I am holding a copy in my hand, and I want to encourage everybody, regardless of religion, to read this book. It is provocative all the way through. Check out these chapter titles. Should the Holocaust be a spur to activism? How should Jews respond to radical Islamists and to bias and hatred toward Muslims? How can prayer inspire activism? I mean, those are some topics that you don't think you're going to just see in a book about veganism and environmental action. So it, it's, it's a dandy book. I highly recommend it. And I have not read yours yet, Rabbi, but I need to get hold of one and, uh, and just give myself uh, the great treat of, of reading all of this wisdom. So you are passionate, Rabbi, about being a Jewish vegan. I love your Twitter handle, Vegan Kosher, and I will put everybody's social media and websites on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So tell us why you're so passionate. I am so passionate about veganism in general. Veganism in general and being a Jewish vegan. Great, great, wonderful. Yeah, so, you know, I think for me, while um, I am uh, very motivated by uh, the health aspect, I mean, how can you not? Um, and I'm very motivated by the environmental aspect. I think at the end of the day, usually we have one central priority that moves us forward. And for me, you know, it, I, I really came to the point where I realized that from a utilitarian perspective, that I could not justify the small amounts of pleasure that I experienced in um, uh, at the expense of an enormous amount of suffering that would happen on the other end. And I felt that there was, I, and then I came to learn after thinking that was a sacrifice that, um, um, that my pleasure would be reduced. <laughs> uh, but, 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 but I've come to learn uh, quite to the contrary. So I'm very motivated by this, by, by, by the notion of, uh, of really trying to reduce suffering, which kind of guides my, my ethics. Um, and uh, about Jewish veganism, I'm, one of the reasons I'm, I'm excited um, is because my model is that Jews are, um, have classically, historically been outsiders in society. And as outsiders, we have been on the margins and in solidarity with other populations on the margins. Now, Jews have a unique role in America today because in many ways we're insiders. Um, we're insiders. I mean, now, you know, a daughter and son-in-law in the White House uh, um, happen to be Jewish, uh, not, not in any way that the administration represents Jewish values, um, you know, but we're not talking politics now. Um, so, but, but I think that now today American Jews are insiders, and the role is how you use the power of an insider while uh, maintaining your identity and, and values of being an outsider. And I think on that front, Jews should be at the front lines 
of creating change for the most vulnerable. And there is no population of sentient beings that suffers more than animals. There's simply no population. And so I think I am excited about the idea of seeing Jews on the front lines of this, in solidarity with people of other faiths or, or people of no faith, um, to create change together. And I think it, there's a lot to celebrate in Jewish leadership here, and also a lot to really uh, mourn that, um, that, 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 you know, that, that, the, that the Jewish establishments at large are not on board yet. And so people like Dr. Schwartz and I really have a lot, a lot of work to do. And I'm motivated by the successes, and I'm motivated by how much work there is still to do. So to that end, you have an institute that I pronounced once, and I'm going to let you pronounce it the next time. Yes. And what is its core mission? Great. Yes. So the, the Shemayim Baaretz translates as um, heaven and earth, the heaven and earth institute. And the goal here is really to bring down the ideal values of the heavenly realm, so to speak, down to earth, that we shouldn't wait for some other world. This is our planet. This is the one planet we have to take care of. We have to take care of uh, and respond to climate change. We have to respond to the mass suffering of animals. We have to take care of human health. The human health, I mean, the number one uh, uh, killer in America is cardiac disease, and that's very deeply linked uh, to animal product consumption, not to mention sugars and oils and other things. Um, but So I think we have to take responsibility. That's the essence of being a human being. And so Shemayim Barth is trying to empower the Jewish community, and to partner with organizations outside the Jewish community to say, let's take responsibility. Let's build spiritual community to support one another. Let's create a spiritual revolution to ensure we take responsibility for our bodies and for animals and for humans and for the planet. And let's together, um, you know, really transcend small-mindedness and small-level thinking in order to, to really uh, create a compassionate revolution. And we do that in partnership with other Jewish organizations like Jewish Veg, which Dr. Schwartz uh, founded and uh, is the president emeritus, and with JIFA, the Jewish uh, Initiative for Animals, um, and with, with you, know, uh, you know, other non-denominational, non-faith groups like HSUS. Um, and, you know, there was recently footage that came out from PETA around some uh, mistreatment in kosher factories. So really, we're all about building our movement and also partnering to build a much broader movement that goes beyond our own corner. Very exciting. So I want to ask you this first, Rabbi, and then we'll get Richard's take on it. How do we get more people involved in faith-based animal issues? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I, I think the faith-based approach is actually very important. I very much respect that there's a very strong contingent of secular vegans, and I think that we need to uh, support them, partner with them, and, and make sure they're never excluded from the faith-based approach. But I do think community is very difficult today. For, you know, there was a famous book written by, by Putnam, Bowling Alone, that people used to bowl in groups, and now they go bowling alone. That in, in, in the 1970s, the average American man had three friends they could rely upon in, in a crisis. And today, they took the study again, the average American man has 0.6 friends they can rely on. Now, I don't know what it means to have 0.6 friends, but it doesn't sound good. Um, it's probably one, but Women, he's on Facebook. One, but he's on Facebook, exactly. So there's, you know, um, women have tended to be better at maintaining relationships than men, but still there's a challenge there as well. And so community is very difficult. Religious groups are some of the only groups that have really been able to maintain strong communal bonds um, in a consistent way. And we should channel that energy and that communal commitment for, towards good ends. Uh, religion has caused such evil in the world, alienation and ostracizing and wars in the name of God, that it's just despicable. But religion is also responsible for enormous amounts of good. And I think that this is a case where we can get our houses of worship and our religious institutions on board and harness that power, leverage that momentum for good. Perfect. Fabulous. And and how about you, Richard? I know you've mentioned before uh, getting more faith-based outreach, getting people to go to their religious leaders. How do we do it without making people feel like we're saying, I am vegan, I am right, you are not, you are bad? Okay, just one quick correction. Uh, I, I, I'm not, I was not the founder of Jewish Veg. It was formerly Jewish Vegetarians of North America, and I was one of the early people, very actively involved, but I don't want people to the impression I was the founder, which really wasn't. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's very difficult, uh, as you've all heard the expression, denial. It's not just a river in Egypt. You know, the people just don't want to know. By the way, in addition to my books, I was uh, 
uh, assistant producer of a wonderful video called A Sacred Duty, Applying Jewish Values to Help Heal the World. And people just don't want to see that, you know, it was very well to be mild in showing how terribly animals are treated. But anyway, as I said, we have truth, morality, and justice on our side. We have these powerful, powerful teachings. And, of course, we always have to be respectful. But we have to, I think, have one-on-one conversations in every community. People going to the rabbis and uh, saying, uh, God forbid, we don't want to change the religion. We want to apply the highest of values. Now, among the 200 articles I have at uh, jewishveg.com slash Schwartz, one of them is a make-up dialogue between a Jewish vegetarian or vegan activist and a rabbi, very respectful, and just pointing out that uh, you know it's not uh, animal rights groups that we're basing things on. Those you know they're very important and powerful, and uh, you have to work with them, of course. But it's, it's the basic Jewish teachings that are very powerful in terms of taking care of animals and all. And there's so much powerful Jewish teachings on that. Uh, they said we have to be uh, compassionate children of compassionate ancestors. And very important Jewish teachings on taking care of our health, arguably the most important mitzvah we have. And uh, God is concerned about the environment. We're supposed to imitate God every single day in the daily prayers. It says, Baruch Marahim Al-Haaretz, Baruch Marahim Al-Habriot. God's compassion is over the earth and all of its creatures. So we have these arguments and take care of the hungry uh, and uh, conserving resources is a very powerful teaching in Deuteronomy that even in wartime, one is not to destroy fruit-bearing trees, to build a battering uh, ramp to overcome an enemy fortification. And the sages extended that into a general prohibition, Baal we are not to destroy or unnecessarily waste anything of value. So the thing is to put these values into practice and uh, it's the people don't want to change. Somebody once said it's harder to change a person's diet than to change their religion at all. But we we just have to bring out these teachings, write letters, uh, meet with rabbis, other Jewish educators, because they can't really answer our arguments in a way that uh, they can't disagree that uh, God would want us to be healthier, would want us to be kind to the animals he's created, would want us to continue with this wonderful world we have. So all the arguments are on our side, and we just have to find better ways to, to get them out to other people. So true. Now, do be in touch with my wonderful guests. I can't believe that our time is almost up. You can find a Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz at, um, on Twitter at Vegan Kosher. Uh, and you can find, um, Dr. Richard Schwartz at JewishVeg.com slash Schwartz. In our last few minutes, I just want to get a sense for myself as a non-Jew and for others listening who don't know a lot about Judaism. What it really means, I, I know, um, Richard, you, you've written so profoundly in Who Stole My Religion, to be a Jew is to see the world through the eyes of God, to be a co-worker with God, to feel deeply the harms done to others, to shout no when others murmur yes to injustice, to be intoxicated with a dream of social justice, to know that God's name can be sanctified by our actions, to believe in the unlimited potential of people in spite of the evil and injustice around us. That is so thrilling, and I almost feel like it's what it means to be a human, but Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering, is that how all Jews see Judaism. So talk to me, gentlemen, tell me what it is to, to be a Jew. Talk to me as if I came from another planet. Right. So, you know, um, Ellie was of blessed memory, the Holocaust survivor and prolific author about uh, the human condition once remarked that 
the mission of Judaism is not to make the world more Jewish, but to, but to make the world more human. Mm. And I think that that really sums it up in a lot of ways. We're not proselytizing. We're not trying to get people to believe in Judaism or convert to Judaism. Rather, we, we view our mission as trying to, uh, to cultivate a more ethical uh, universe um, where uh, people live up to their moral potentials. And we view Jewish wisdom as A, but not the only, um, you know, vehicle to really inspire that type of revolution. And so at the end of the day, I think much more than being a religion of beliefs, it is a religion of action, what we call the mitzvot. To do a mitzvah is to act in the name of our values. It's a very demanding religion, 613 biblical commandments, thousands of rabbinic ones that are all geared towards cultivating our inner world and cultivating our outer world. And here's the last thing I'll say about this, and then I'll pass along to Dr. Schwartz, which is that I think in our era to create change, a lot of people are trying to create change from anger. And I think that when we lead from our inner darkness, we ultimately produce darkness. And when we lead from our inner light, we produce light. So rather than being angry activists yelling at people, this and that, I think we really need to um, you know, bring our positivity, bring relationship building, bring, um, bring, bring wisdom and gentle compassion to create change. So it's not only important the values we bring, but also the way we do it. That's stunning. Thank you. Dr. Schwartz? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, as I pointed out, uh, Judaism means trying to imitate God's attributes of justice, mercy, compassion, and to move back to Garden of Eden to some extent, and uh, Jews always yearn for a messianic world that will be more peaceful, more just. We may never get there, but more important, perhaps, than even getting there is striving and learning and uh, putting things into practice. And as I pointed out, there's various parts of Judaism, but there's some, it's it's a radical religion with strong teachings on peace, justice, that we have to put into practice to recognize that the world is in trouble, unfortunately, and uh, Jewish values can make a difference. And also, other religions, of course, are also based on compassion and justice. And, all. and hopefully we can all get together and move toward that uh, more ideal world in the future. So to the people listening, I'm just going to ask one little point of guidance to the listener. So I'll start with you, Rabbi. This person listening, what would you like to suggest to him or her? I think that um, if they are a person who uh, lives by spiritual values, whether they're religious values or spiritual but not religious values, to cultivate spiritual routine on a daily basis that gives us a deeper sense of reflection, of intentionality, of conviction, of connectedness, and translate that energy into being a force for good. Because I think what we see today are many who are um, running around trying to create change but aren't deeply reflective or grounded, and many others who are deeply grounded but use religion as a way of kind of escaping the world. What we need are people who are both charged internally but then take that spiritual charge to bring more compassion and justice to the world. Oh, that's beautiful. You spoke directly to the heart, not only of the listener, but also to the host. So thank you very much for that. Richard, last 30 seconds. Oh, well, okay. Um, hate to be pessimistic, but I think one of the most important facts today is we are heading toward a climate catastrophe. It could be as much as seven degrees Celsius increase. Civilization is at stake. So I'd urge everybody to make this a priority, to use our religious values, get the message out, to talk to friends, coworkers, go to your rabbi, priest, minister, imam, and say, uh, we uh, just can't be business as usual. We can't continue rearranging the deck chairs in effect on the Titanic as we head toward uh, the giant iceberg, this has to become the major, major priority for religion and all aspects of life today. Thank you both 
so much. You have really uh, spoken to my spirit, fed my soul, and I'm sure you've done that for everybody listening. Thank you so very much. Thanks again to Unity Online Radio, to our friends at Vegan Outreach, and most of all, thanks to you, everybody listening. Such a Thank pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> thanks so much. So everybody out there, God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Spirit of Recovery is the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. The philosopher Plato said, The unexamined life is not worth living world where it is paramount that we earn a living and provide for those who depend upon us, there seems to be little or no time for self-evaluation. Survival receives all our attention. Yet, when you pause and take a look at the little things in your daily experience, a richer you will be discovered. In knowing yourself, you develop a better understanding of others. In unity, we support the spiritual idea of knowing thyself. It's how we can all bring a healing, compassionate attitude to an ever-changing world. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach. Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Philosopher Plato said, The unexamined life is not worth living. In a world where it is paramount that we earn a living and provide for those who depend upon us, there seems to be little or no time for self-evaluation. Survival receives all our attention. Yet, when you pause and take a look at the little things in your daily experience, a richer you will be discovered. In knowing yourself, you develop a better understanding of others. In unity, we support the spiritual idea of knowing thyself. It's how we can all bring a healing, compassionate attitude to an ever-changing world. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa. 
and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, and wherever you get your podcasts.